0: The title of today's message is going to be Playing Favorites, Playing Favorites. We've been going through James, and uh, we happened to just finish chapter one, and now we're going to be in chapter two. If you guys didn't know, there's five chapters in total, so it's been cool. I've really enjoyed my time studying, and I hope you guys have been enjoying your time just studying, going through it. Um, I think the Lord has a lot more to speak to us, and I'm excited to hear from him for sure. Um, Let's go ahead and pray before we get into it today. God, we come before you, and uh, Lord, you are so good. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the chairs that we sit in. We thank you for the air conditioning. We thank you for your word. Uh, God, we're so grateful. Lord, I know sometimes my heart, Lord, just feels overwhelmed by how much you do for us, how much you give us. Lord, we recognize that everything good comes from you, and as we just take this moment, Lord, in our weeks to pause and to, uh, to come to church and to learn from you, would you teach us God, we desire to sit at your feet just like Mary did, and we just desire to hear from you. God, would you use me, uh, Lord, just as a mouthpiece, Lord, that it wouldn't be my opinions up here, but it would be your word, and would you just do uh, just a lasting work in our heart. Lord, it wouldn't just be like watching TV uh, where we just kind of forget it and there's, there's no, nothing fruitful about it, Lord, but would this produce something good in our life, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys at James chapter 2, everyone have a Bible? Does anyone not have a Bible? Raise your hand. I'm going to call you out. All right, go grab a Bible if you don't have one. If you're... Quickly, James chapter 2. You guys are going to have to follow along today. You got to stick with it. James chapter 2. But before we get into that, I want to share with you guys a story. It came out about five years ago. Uh, People weren't sure if it was real or true. Now we can kind of look back and be like, okay, this actually didn't happen. It was just kind of a cool idea. Um, there was some certain circumstances that were related and similar, uh, but I want to share it with you as a guy um, and, and how it kind of the whole scenario went down and how the story, it became viral pretty quick. But the story of a, a pastor, uh, he was about to take on a new church. Uh, he had been meeting with the board members and stuff like that, and so this was going to be his first day uh, taking on. It was a Sunday morning, And he had not yet, you know, he he had not yet met like the the church, like uh, the the leadership and the different people. And so this was going to be his first Sunday message. And so normally, right, how do you typically like to dress for church? Hopefully a little nicer, right? You get a, you know, button down and some pants and it's fine if you don't, all good. Um, Right? But you see, typically see Pastor Jacob there. He's got a, you know, long sleeve shirt and uh, it's just because it's Sunday and honoring the Lord. And so instead of doing that though, he decides to dress pretty raggedy. Decides to mess up his hair pretty good and maybe rub some dirt on his face, maybe not put deodorant on that morning. And he decides to go to church the first Sunday just like that. But when he gets there, he doesn't introduce himself as the pastor. He is almost disguised as a homeless person. And so he gets to church, and uh, this is a church, mind you, of about ten to 15,000 people, as the story goes. And uh, he gets there and, and to his amazement, there was only about three people to even acknowledge his existence. That this church has become, became so churched in a sense that they weren't willing to even acknowledge someone on their property that looked the way he did. Yet that morning he, he goes up on stage and uh, to their amazement, he preaches a message and uh, just about meeting the needs and not, uh, in, in a passage similar to that, what we're going to look at today, it's an interesting story, but what's the concept? It's that sometimes within church, sometimes within our lives, we can become numb and we can, be, we can start to choose favorites, that we can start to favor some people above others. And I'm sure you guys have uh, maybe been a part of someone playing the favorite game. Uh, there's a good end to it, but there's also the bad end to it. And within our Christian faith, Faith, uh, the favorites card shouldn't exist within our faith, that we shouldn't favor other people over other people. And I'm sure you guys have experienced that, whether it's at school. Maybe your teacher just has her favorite students and you feel like you can never get on her side. Or maybe uh, on a sports team, or um, maybe even within your own family. And today we're going to look at a section of scripture that's really encouraging us to see as God sees. It's going to be encouraging us to see people just as people and not elevating other people above the rest and treating everyone the same. But as we get into the text today, I just want to remind you, do you guys remember what we, uh, what we talked about last week? Does anyone, does anyone remember? James chapter 1. We talked about being a doer of the word, right? We said we talked about how we shouldn't just come into church and as we come to God's word that it shouldn't be something we just hear and then don't do. And so that's, that's, what we, that's the, kind of the tail end of what we're coming from. And then we'll see next week in our study, we'll talk about, uh, it talks about how our faith should be active, that, there, that our faith should have works to support it. And if our faith is merely just, we say we're a Christian, but there's no works behind it, it says that that kind of faith is dead. And so sandwich in between these two awesome truths is the section that we're at today. And we're going to look at uh, James chapter one, sorry, James chapter two, and we're going to look at the first four verses. There's going to be four points today. You guys are taking notes, and the first one uh, is going to be penned as a question. Is this you? And so as we just read these, four, these first four verses, uh, start asking yourself, is this you? How do you treat people? How do you see people? Is it with this, what we're gonna, this term we're going to look at, partiality? Is there some people you favor or maybe you don't favor because of the way that they look or the way that they dress or the way that they act it might be differently? And so ask yourself the question, is this you? Look at James chapter two, look at verse one. Verse one, it says, "'My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, "'the Lord of glory, with partiality. "'For if there should come into your assembly,' "'or church gathering,' A man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so we get this first section, and and we look at verse 1, and we're given instruction. We're given instruction to not hold the faith that we have with partiality. And that first part I want to look at, uh, to hold. What does it mean that to hold faith? Well, it means to have or possess. That if you possess or if you have this Christian faith, if you're following the Lord, then today he's saying you cannot show partiality or favoritism to other people. And we're going to see in a second what, what this partiality is all about. But it's kind of like to hold these two things together and try to act on both of them would kind of be like trying to hold a dog and a cat in the same arm. Probably wouldn't work so well. They don't get along so well. Or kind of like putting, have you ever put ketchup on Mexican food? Hopefully not. Hopefully not, because it does not go. No, it does not go. Or putting ketchup on pancakes. That's disgusting. They They don't mesh together. And these two ideas, walking with the Lord, this holding to this Christian faith, Yet treating people in this way, they don't mesh, mesh together. It's kind of like having, uh, you know, the south and negative pole, south and north pole of magnets, right? They just, they don't fit together. And these two ideas, they don't fit together. But what is it? What is, what is it talking about when it says partiality? Well, the, um, you can look up on the board, definitions, it's just favoritism. It's to favor one person or group over another, But it's typically always considered as an injustice. Because why? Because it's not, it's based upon principles uh, that aren't fair in the sense of uh, based upon outward appearances or social status. That uh, the King James Version, you guys know that we have the new King James Version, right? Well, there's such thing, obviously, as an old King James Version. And in the King James Version, uh, just drop the new, uh, it translates this as, uh, it says, to be a respecter of persons, What does that mean? It means that you wouldn't treat someone based upon the way they look or upon their background or upon where they come from or they look a little bit different than you, that you're not a respecter of persons, that you're not impressed also with someone who maybe seems uh, like your ideal person and you don't treat people differently. It's that idea kind of a prejudice and discrimination. Now, when we hear those words, prejudice and discrimination, what do you think of? Typically, you think of race, right? You think of just the color of the skin. But you guys realize that that's not the only type of prejudice. That's not the only type of discrimination. And it's crazy because within the church here that James is writing to, this was happening. That to the poor, lower class people, there was discrimination. There was prejudice that they were glorifying the rich. They were glorifying and exalting to a higher level than they should have the people who seemed to be someone you guys know this concept, right? There's, there's what some people would call someone's in life, and then there's no one's. You see, in God's kingdom, in his category, when he looks across people, he doesn't see some people as, as higher than others. Uh, but we tend to do this, just as human beings, God bless you, uh, and especially now within our culture, right? We love elevating man. We do. We love elevating man into a higher position than we should. Think about Think about just the, the, the fame thing, people who are famous. I mean, think about it today. If, if someone like Kobe Bryant or Mike Trout or whoever you look up to or someone that you admire and you like would love to meet, if they were here in this room and you walked in, you would probably push everyone aside to you want to go, go and talk to them, right? You would even probably even, even lend some of your allowance and you'd buy them something from the snack bar. And people go nuts over people. I don't know if you've ever seen or got to experience someone who's famous and you see the crowd that just would crowd them. And uh, it's crazy. I know uh, Haley has a couple of stories when she was in New York once, like there is a couple famous people and, and people just, you see them and it's, it, people go nuts. They're like, oh my gosh, famous person. They just run and they don't even know who it is. Uh, there's a story. It's pretty funny actually, but there's a guy who a few years ago uh, who he's, no, what we would call a no-name, meaning he's not famous, people don't know who he is, uh, but he decided to do kind of like a trial in New York City. And what he did, uh, he hired a security detail, and uh, he hired some people that would look like paparazzi, and he just started walking down new, the streets of New York City. And then not much long after, guess who starts just crowding around for no, for no apparent reason? People. People and people and people that they see the security details and they see the paparazzi and they say, oh my gosh, this person must be so famous. And so it's amazing. They have video footage of people going, running up to this guy asking for his autograph. He's no one of what we would say. He, he's not famous. He's done nothing. He probably is like an accountant or something. You don't know. Yet people are running up to him and they're, they're saying how much they love his music and they just love what he does. And they were like interviewing people and they're like, what do you like what do you what do you like so much about this guy? They're just making up stuff because they're freaking out. But you and I we elevate, man, but God does not. This is worldly stuff. That they do just they this is how the world acts in so many areas, but we should be all together different. That we should see as God sees. And how does he see How does he see people? Just as people as people within it, a human beings with an eternal soul. He doesn't see anyone better than anyone else, anyone that should receive better or higher treatment. And yet we see that this is, this is how God sees. And I want, you to, encur- I want to encourage you, and I've, I've been telling you this, but whenever God asks you to do something, he's never asking from a hypocritical standpoint. What does that mean? Meaning that when he asks you to do something, it's because that's how he is. Then when he asks you to do this or not to do that, it, because that's who he is and he wants you to be like him. And we can trust him in that. When he instructs us, it's, it's not out of a hypocritical state, but it, it's coming because that's how God is. And so when he's asking us, hey, when you call yourself a Christian, I don't want you to be partial or favor some people above another or treat people differently. Why? Because he says, I don't do that. That's my heart. Romans 2, uh, verse 11, we, we see this. He says, For there is no partiality with God, plain and simple. There is, he does not have favorites, He is not impressed with man. Romans 2, 11. In Ephesians 6, 9, it says something similar. It says, Knowing that your own master is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. That the writer in Ephesians was talking to other uh, people, saying that though, those who are, uh, there's people that have authority over other people, he's saying that I want you to not lord it over them because I want you to know that God doesn't see you different than other people. God doesn't see the President of the United States different than he does you. That though they, he's in an amazing position of authority, he doesn't see you any different. Pastor Jack of our church, He's not anyone special. He's awesome, and we love him, and we appreciate him, but God doesn't love him more than he loves you. He doesn't, and he treats us all the same. And honestly, I'm glad about that. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God doesn't pick favorites, or he doesn't, you know, like Greg Laurie, doing the harvesting. It's, he's not his favorite person, so that's why God's blessing his ministry. God doesn't work like that. He doesn't. He doesn't. He just doesn't work like that. That's not his nature. And so, verses two and three, we saw. We see the instruction. In verse one, but in verse two and three, we get an example that uh, James gives a hypothetical situation. Uh, he gives a, a situation, an example, or an explanation of what he's talking about. And we read it just a second ago. And he talks about these two men. He says he gives this example of that these two men. Uh, come and, and one comes in first to their church, to their assembly, to the place where they're gathering together as believers. And he's saying that there is this man who comes in and he's obviously a visitor because they need to try to find him a seat. So imag- imagine the situation, all right? Let's uh, take the, the main sanctuary, for example, right? There's a bunch of ushers and greeters. I don't know if you've ever been in there. Um, imagine a visitor comes and uh, this man, he seems, he seems somewhat of status. He He's, he's walking with his chin a little higher, his chest out, and he's got a big old watch on his hand, and he's got a really nice suit on. Imagine one of the ushers would, would go to him and say, oh my gosh, like, can, I, can I get you the best seat? We have this one seat that's reserved. It's like the air conditioning, fl- the air conditioning flow is the best on it. It's su- super comfortable. Let's get you the best seat in the house. And he was only basing upon it because he looked just like someone important, he might have even had a bodyguard with him. So he's like, oh man, let's get this guy a good seat. But then a few minutes later, someone rolls in and uh, they can smell them before they can even see them. The hair is raggedy and the, the clothes are filthy. And so the usher would say, this doesn't actually happen here. This is hypothetical. He would say, oh, we just got new chairs in the sanctuary. Not sure, not sure if we want to sit uh, do you mind sitting on the, on the floor? Ah, oh, the carpets, though. Carpets are new, too. Would you mind sitting on the tile? Maybe like in the tile, or they're pretty nice. What about the bathroom? We could, we could get you a nice seat in there, right? And that's, that's the, the picture that we get that there's, there's two different men, but are being two, treated two different kinds of ways, and only because of the way that they look, the way their social status, their economic class, you could say. And he says this, this idea of footstool. He says, well, I, you could stand. I, we don't have any seats for you. Or you could sit at the footstool. It's just a, a, like a footrest. Now, they were treating the visitor even worse than the person that was serving, that the, serving, the person serving should be the last one to get a seat. Yet they were saying that this person could just sit on the floor. There's a story um, just, just met a couple guys, they used to go to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, uh, but there's a story of Pastor Chuck, who was the this founder of Calvary Chapel, the, the movement, and all the different churches, and uh, it all started with him, and there's a story back in the day of their church uh, just getting revamped, and it's growing and growing, and there's all this awesome stuff happening, and people are coming, and man, things are, things are good, and, and they just get a new carpet. They just get a new carpet. But all of a sudden, back in the 70s, all these hippies start coming to this church, and they start coming. But the people that were there, some of the people in the congregation, they were saying, oh, I'm not so, I'm not so sure about these hippies because they don't have shoes on, right? They're really dirty. They're going to mess up the carpet. And I love Pastor Chuck's response, and he told them, well, then rip out the carpet. Because it because Pastor Chuck's heart was for everyone to be able to come, that he didn't see some people better or he wasn't gonna treat people differently. And I think it's a good illustration for us. But verse four, it it becomes all too real. Look at verse four, that he now turns to them. He turns away from the hypothetical situation and he turns to them personally. And he says, "Have, have you not shown partiality? Have you not done this? Have you not become judges with evil thoughts. That James would say, is this not what you guys are doing? And he's calling them out. He's rebuking them. And he says that you've shown partiality. Again, that's the idea that we're talking about. I mean, that they started segregating and separating the people that would come to their church. That they started treating people differently. But it says that they, they became judges. What does that mean? What is, what is he talking about when he says that they become judges? Well, judge is actually, the word is, it's an official position that they started putting themselves in an official position. But guess what? Who's the the one and only judge? It's God himself. Yet they were putting themselves, in a sense, in the place of God saying, no, this this person needs to do this, and this person needs to do this. And And they started treating people differently. But the problem was is that they had evil thoughts, that their motives were wrong. That whether because of the person of, of social status, they were wanting to impress them, and so they started treating them a certain way. But someone who was poor, they didn't, they didn't care. You see, it was all selfish motives that came from evil thoughts. And so what do these people need? What, what can change? Well, they need a change of perspective. They need God's perspective. Because God is never, ever impressed with outward appearances. He's never impressed with men. And so let's look at verse 5 through 7, and let's look at God's choice. We saw just the the instruction there to us that we know what we're supposed to do, to kind of take a look at our inward hearts. But let's take a look at what's God's choice in this whole thing. If God was that usher, in a sense, and he was able to choose, he was able to treat uh, those different people, who would he rather almost have an an inclination for? Well, we're going to see in a second that it's not what you might think. Verse 5 Look at verse five, and we're going to look at verse five, six, and seven. It says, listen, my beloved brethren, and he's kind of moving on. He says, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? Verse six, but you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Verse seven, do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? And so he says, listen, listen. He says, "Listen, Linda. Listen, I got something very important to tell you. Pay attention. Listen up. Put your ears. I got. It, I got something to tell you." But he tells them in a question form. You guys know what a rhetorical question is, yeah? A rhetorical question, right? Is something that you that you ask, but it's really you're saying a statement that you're not. You don't want the answer. That the answer is obvious. And the answer to this, this question that he poses is yes, this is how God works. He says that God, has not show, that, God has not, that God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. The poor of this world, meaning that they are lacking in a physical way. He said those who are willing to lack in a physical way, he's saying those are the ones I want. Why? Because they're willing to come. And he says, I will make them rich in faith, and they'll be spiritually abundant. It won't be physical, but it's a spiritual thing. I want you guys to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's a few books over. Keep your spot in James 1, whether with, with your finger or your tassel. Sorry, James 2. But let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you guys to turn. Put your tassel in, your mark where we're at, but, and we'll, because we're going to be coming back. But I want you guys to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 26 through 29. You might say, well, why does God, if if God's not partial, then why would he choose the poor? Well, think about Jesus' earthly ministry here. Think about different things that you've heard from the Gospels, and maybe you've read it yourself or you've heard it in a teaching. Didn't it seem like the bulk of who was willing to come to Jesus was not the rich people, was not the religious leaders who had all the power and the money. It seemed those who were willing to come were those who were troubled, those who had burdens, those who uh, weren't so successful financially. Why? Because they were willing to receive him. They were willing to uh, completely dis, uh, to be done away with the things of this world to follow the Lord. And Jesus loves God loves picking the foolish. Thank God, thank the Lord, because I definitely am a fool. Look at verse 26, chapter one of 1 Corinthians. It says, for you see your calling brethren. This is who God calls, that not many wise according to the flesh. According to the world's standards, not many wise are called, not many mighty, not many noble are called. This goes against our thinking, our understanding. Verse 27, but God has chosen. The foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. See, he's choosing these things to put to shame the the things of the world. And the base things of the world, meaning the low things, and the things which are even despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And verse 29 is the key, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You might be saying, well, that's not fair. What about the people who are mighty or who are noble? Typically, if if you're mighty on your own, you don't need the Lord. And so God wants to choose those who are just willing to be a, a, a empty vessel that he could use, those who know their weakness. And God says, within your weakness, I'm gonna choose you and I'm gonna make you strong. But people will know it's not you, that it's the Lord, that God gets the glory and not us. And so God loves, this is who he chooses and I'm pretty thankful for that myself. But now jump back to James chapter 2. If you guys are at 1 Corinthians still, jump, jump back to James chapter 2. And he says, after the statement, after this rhetorical question, this, this truth that we get of, of who God chooses, but he says in verse 6, that they haven't chosen the poor, that they've actually dishonored the poor. Verse 6 says, but you have dishonored the poor man means that they brought shame, that they failed to respect their, human, their humanity, that they humiliated them, that the poor that were coming into the church, they, they were starting to just feel kind of disgraced, and they were feeling rejected, that they felt degraded because of, just, because of their financial state. And this is what happens, though, when you start to favor some people over the other, that the people that you favor, the people that aren't favored, they, they start to become humiliated that it is, that when we start to treat people based upon these worldly principles and not godly ones, this is what happens. But he then brings up the irony in this whole situation. Look at verse 6 after he talks about the dishonoring. He says, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? He's saying, man, isn't it ironic? What does ironic mean? It means basically that there's, there's almost humor within, uh, within what you're doing because you're, you're treating these people really well, but these are the people that treat you bad. It's the opposite of what you think. It's the opposite of what you should be doing. And it says that they're oppressing them, that the people that they're treating so well and so excited for to welcome to the church, that these are the people that oppress them. It means to keep them down. It means that they are starting to abuse, that they abuse their authority over them, yet they, yet they treat them better that they're the ones that are dragging them into court, suing them. But the the one I want you to focus on is in verse 7. It says, And don't they blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Blaspheme means to slander or to attack a reputation or to to insult. And they started to attack the name by which they were called. What does that mean? Do you guys have maybe uh, when you were little or maybe even now that you have a grandpa or grandma or maybe even your mom and dad, and there's just a special name that they call you? Like the, only they call you and no one else is allowed to call you? I have a name uh, that I'm not gonna share with you guys, but it was my, my grandpa. He used, to, he used to call me it when I was younger. But um, I remember my mom tried calling me at one time. I was like, no, that's grandpa's supposed to call me that. That's not, that. That is his nickname for me, right? Because why? It indicated the special relationship that I had with my grandfather. And for the Lord... We see oftentimes within the Old Testament that there's this phrase that, that he says. that He says, the people that are called by my name. And there's a special connection in this relationship that God had. And, and for us, we take on a name. Christian is not our name, but we take it on as, as, as one of our own, that we take on the name of Jesus. It's that noble or good name by which we are called. And for the people that they were treating better, they were blaspheming, they were slandering the name of Jesus. And so he basically goes on and and he talks about how this this is sin. And we see uh, the plain and simple truth in the next section we're gonna look at, which is verses eight through 11. We see just plain and simple that when we do this, when we take part, when we look at people and treat them worse than we we should because because of the way they look, because the way they act, whatever it might be, then we're guilty of this. And you might have a hard time. You're like, well, I don't, you know, I don't treat, treat poor people bad. What about someone who, who would come into the room today and they just dress a little bit different than you? Or they look different than you? Or maybe you notice that they wore that shirt last week and the week before. Maybe they don't have a lot of money. Do you treat them differently? I hope not. But if we do, and he says this, look at, look at verse uh, eight with me. He says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble at just in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So he says it's this, this royal law. What is that? What What is he talking about when he says royal law? Well, think about royalty. It's typically someone who's a little, uh, seems a little bit more important, uh, that there's, a, that there's a, su- a supremeness and within the authority. And so when it says royal law, it means uh, one of the most important ones up there. Uh, if you guys know, uh, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39, you can put it up. The context to this is, is what he's quoting from, but this is Jesus talking, and he's actually quoting from the Old Testament. But there's a scenario within the New Testament, within the Gospels in Matthew, that a lawyer comes up to Jesus, and he starts asking him some questions, and he says, Jesus, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus has a two-part answer for him. Does anyone know the first part of what Jesus' Jesus's response was? Of what what is the greatest commandment that we could possibly we could possibly do? You guys know any guesses? Yeah. What? No,pe not that one. It's yep. Boom! There you go, Thomas. It's Jesus said the, the greatest thing that we can do within this life to obey the Lord is just to love Him. Follow of our soul, of our strength. But he says the second thing is like it, and that's where we get this verse. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the royal law. But when we start to do this, when we start to look people or exalt others when they shouldn't be exalted, when we treat people worse than we should, we're not fulfilling this. We're not completing what Jesus said to do, what Leviticus said to do, what James is telling us to do. And the plain and simple truth is, is that when we do this, that we are sinning. That we are sinning against the people and we are sinning against the Lord. In verse nine, it says that you commit sin. This is a strong statement. It means literally you are working sin. And this is something that's deliberate and intentional. Because when you treat people in this way, it's not an accident. Sometimes we like to cover our sins and we say it was an accident. But there's a couple different types of sin that the Bible talks about. But this kind of sin is called a transgression. And I'll explain it in a second. This is the type of sin that's, that is intentional. It's that you know what's wrong, yet you do it anyway. It's, it's where there's a line and you see the line, yet you cross over it. It's that moment. I'm sure you guys have younger siblings, or maybe this was you as a little kid. It's that moment where the little kid has a cookie. And the mom comes over and says, don't eat the cookie until after dinner. And the little kid has a cookie in hand looks like a good cookie, he looks back at the mom, and she, he knows what she said, he understood completely, but then he looks back at the cookie, then he looks back at mom, then he looks back at the cookie, and then he eats the cookie, right, he just crossed the line that he knew, he knew no doubt this was wrong, I was not supposed to do this, I saw the line, I saw the cookie, I saw my mom, but now I'm eating the cookie, that is a transgression, that is a sin that is intentional, you know what you're doing. And within, within as we, how we treat people, you know what you're doing. You know. You have that choice that it's, it's right? He, he talked about earlier the evil thoughts. It's, it's those motives. But will we act on those evil thoughts? And he said, if we do, you commit sin. And he says in verse 10 that with this sin, you, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Let's say if you're, you're good in every other area. That with the Lord, you, you, you're so good and, and, and you're good to go. And, but in this one area in life, you just have trouble treating people in this way. He says, it, you're, you're a transgressor. You, you've, you've, you're guilty before God. That you're liable for punishment. Now, we know with Jesus, of course, that he takes away that punishment. But this is sin. This is serious. And, and he says that, and you might say, well, this doesn't make sense. If you just break the law in this other area, you're guilty of everything. Yep. That's what the Bible says. Guys, it just takes one little sin to keep someone out from heaven. One little sin, that's what we like to call them. One lie could keep someone out of heaven. Why? Because they have violated God's will. They have gone against it. Imagine, I love, I was reading about this, this illustration. I thought it was so good. Imagine if someone was, was uh, hanging over a cliff, okay? And the only thing holding them up is, uh, is a, a chain. And within that chain, there's 10 different links, how many links would it take to break for that guy to fall? Just one. Would all 10 have to break at the same time? No, just one breaks and boom, he's done. And it's a good illustration for us to understand that, that, that you break one of God's laws. He says that you're, you're, you're it. You are guilty now before me. But We know for us, of course, that Jesus takes away this guilt. He takes away this sin. But what now? saw that, that, that this is sin. We saw the seriousness of it for sure, but we're gonna look at just the last two verses and we're gonna just talk shortly about the application. What now? What do we do with this? Look at verse 12 and 13. I'm gonna read it again. It says, so speak and do, and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy and mercy triumphs over judgment. He says, so in every way, in every aspect And every action, we are to keep speaking and keep acting as someone who is judged according to not the law that brings death, but the law that brings freedom, the law that he says of liberty. What is he talking about? Well, the gospel, that for you and I, that we're not judged according to our sin, that God takes away the punishment. He takes away what we are liable to pay for, that we're now judged according to the law of liberty meaning that we have freedom in Christ, that we are no longer slaves of sin, but we are free to live to God. And so he says, so speak and act and do that. He says, you're calling yourselves Christians. You're within the church. Don't be treating people differently. Don't be elevating men above how he should be. Yet today, are we living like this? Are we living out Galatians 2.20? Is Jesus truly living through us? Are we his ambassadors and representatives? Because And ask yourself this question, you can write it down. The way you treat people, maybe it's not as bad as the church was here, but is the way that you treat people, is that how Jesus would treat them? We have a clear picture of how Jesus treated treated people, and it was with the utmost compassion and the utmost mercy. That he didn't care what background you came from, he didn't care what disease you had, he was willing to touch you, he was willing to have mercy and compassion on you. In verse 13, it says that judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. That there is judgment for those that aren't willing to show mercy to people. But he says mercy triumphs over judgment. That we are to have compassion. You see, mercy can't be shown, but it's rather acted and practiced. That mercy in our lives, that when we show people mercy and compassion and love, though they might be different though we might be leaned to just kind of throw them to the side, will we have mercy? In Matthew 9, 13, I want to share with you guys just a verse. This is what Jesus says, and he says, but go and learn what this means. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, the people that come in this church and the people that come into your lives that maybe they don't have a lot, God loves them. He's, he's, He's... those are the ones that he wants to call. Matthew 12, 7, he says the same thing just a, just a little bit later. He says, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. You see, before we worship and sacrifice for God, the first thing that he wants us to get right is our relationships with people. Are we, willing, are we having mercy and compassion on them? Before you raise your hand and worship, God, God wants to, you to answer the question, of do you have mercy? Do you love mercy? And they don't look, though they might not look like you, though they don't have the same clothes or talk like you, instead we should have God's perspective on people, who shows no partiality, who doesn't have distinctions or separations, that he sees everyone as the same. We should be like our God. Will we have mercy upon those around us? Will we speak and act like Jesus? Will we be a respecter of persons, or will we see God well, we see people as God sees them? We'll, just, we'll close with this verse. It's Micah 6.8. It's, it's a famous verse for sure, but there's, there's one part in it that I want to share with you guys. And this is what we're to do. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but just to do justly, do the right thing, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God says, I want you to love mercy. That the people that that come into your life, he says, I want you to have mercy on them. Though whatever kind of preconceived notions you might have, whatever kind of thoughts you might have towards people, God says, I want you to act according to mercy. Though they might not deserve it, though we we, we all don't deserve anything, but will we act with mercy? Justin, you can come on out for worship. God, we come before you and we thank you for this time and your word. We ask that you'd help us just to practice this in our everyday life. Lord, we thank you that you're not like us that this world and us included, Lord, we elevate people. Lord, when you're the only one that should be elevated. Lord, and we degrade people when no one deserves that because each person is made in your image. God, would you give us your sight? Would you give us your vision, Lord, that we might not sin against you? God, we thank you for this time, and we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.